Open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Now we're going to be all over the scriptures today, and I'm going to have quite a few of the verses up on the screen. Feel free to look them up in your Bibles, but there'll be a few that I'll, I'll direct you to. But we're going to start in the book of Philippians. I wanted to get back to our how to study the Bible, but it is the Christmas season, and so I thought I would combine them. And it, how many of you think that Christmas is about Jesus? Isn't that good? And it, it, the Bible is also about Jesus. So if we study the Bible and we, 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 we want to find Jesus, then let's get this principle. If you want to understand your Bible as you study the Bible, look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. You will find him. We're going to demonstrate that this morning, and I pray that it's a help for you and brings glory to God. Let's go to the Lord. Lord, thank you so much for your word as we study it. And Father, there's so many things going on in the world. Settle our minds, settle our hearts around your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the, the crazier things get, the more important it's going to be for all of us to be able to handle the Bible ourselves. Imagine if that everything collapses, you know, they come against that we get rid of the First Amendment, and you can no longer gather in church. Well, we ought to have enough people at Grace Baptist Church that could gather people under a tree or in a barn or wherever, to teach the Word of God, as has happened for 2,000 years. Amen? If we can't meet in the building, that doesn't have anything to do with whether or not we can be a church. That's why it's so important that we all understand the Scriptures. And so this morning, we're going to look at the principle of, of Jesus Christ as the center of the Scriptures. And if you're going to study the Bible, look for Christ. Let's have a few introductory remarks I'm going to give you the definition of this principle. This is from Jadwin Hartle. We've been looking at his book on hermeneutics. That's how to study the Bible. And the mind of God is eternally centered in Christ. The mind of God is eternally centered in Christ. That's what we're going to look at this morning. But look at the other principles or the other, the other portions of this definition. All angelic thought and ministry are centered in Christ. Why do the angels exist? To minister to Christ, to worship Christ. And we'll look at that. All satanic hatred and subtlety are centered at Christ. How many of you know that he hates Jesus? And we're going to be seeing that. No, don't worry, we're not doing all of this today. <laughs> this, is, this is where we're going. Uh, some of you ladies are thinking, I've got a roast in the oven. There's no way we're going to make it through all of those things. Number four, all human hopes are and human occupations should be centered in Christ. So it doesn't matter what your job is, it ought to be centered in Christ. You do it for the Lord, you do it as a part of worship. And we're going to find that in the Scriptures. The whole material universe in creation is centered in Christ. You know, there's a lot of people that worship nature. And what they're, what they're doing is they're taking what the, the worship that's intended for God and giving it to what God made, and that has results. But the whole material universe in creation is centered in Christ. And then the entire written word is centered in Christ. And we're going to be discovering that over the next few weeks. But I want you to see here at the beginning is that first point. The mind of God is eternally centered in Christ. The mind of God is eternally centered in Christ. What do we mean by the mind of God? Well, look at Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. When we look at how we are to behave, we are to have the mind of Christ. The Bible says that we actually have the mind of Christ. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it makes it very clear. Nobody can instruct God, but we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? Because we have the Bible. And so that's why when we study the Bible, we are to look for Jesus. Studying the Bible is not about gaining information. It's about knowing God, knowing Christ, knowing his plan for the world, knowing his plan for us. That's why we study the Bible. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, Hebrews 1.3 says this, talking about Christ, who being the brightness of his glory. Jesus Christ did not begin at Bethlehem. Can I get a good amen right there? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The child was born, the son was given. Jesus existed before Bethlehem. The body was given to him to be born and, but so that he could die. But Jesus is eternal. He is God. So notice what it says, who being, this is about Christ, the brightness of his, that's the Father, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time. You can't see God the Father. You can't see him. He's not visible. Jesus Christ showed us the Father who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Isn't that beautiful language? It's just amazing what God did for us and how he communicated that to us in his word. So he's the visible image of the invisible God. We understand visible and invisible, right? You can see what's visible. You can't see what's invisible. And one of the things that atheists struggle with is they don't believe in God because they can't see him. But, you know, a good question there is, do you believe in love? Can you see love? Do you believe in mercy? Can you see mercy? Do you believe in compassion? Can you see? You can see the outworking of compassion. You can see the outworking of love. But you can't see those things. And yet, do they exist? Yes. And we're going to see some more about that in a minute. He is the visible image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.8 says, but unto the Son, this is God the Father speaking, unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. I was flying to Oklahoma City a few years ago and in the seat next to me. I was getting ready to preach, so I was studying my Bible. Seat next to me, the guy noticed my Bible, started asking me questions about it. And um, I said, uh, where do you go to church? And he said that um, he's a director, he's a, an educational director for The Way. So we had a couple of hours to have a good conversation. And uh, he, he said, do you believe that Jesus is God? I said, yes. He said, nowhere in the Bible does it ever say that Jesus is God. So I took him to this passage, and this is exactly what he did. He had my Bible. And he went like this. He went. I said, you keep turning the pages. It's not going away. He had never seen that. Because this is a clear statement that Jesus Christ is God. God the Father is calling God the Son God. And the Bible says there's only one God. Amen? And so the, the Bible says, but unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Now, this is going to be visible. This is the thing that's amazing. Throughout all eternity, we will see Jesus. We'll be worshiping him on the throne. And when we're worshiping him, we're worshiping the Father. He is the visible image of the invisible God. We're looking for Jesus now. Now, here's what Hartle said, and I love this. 
And this is, remember, we're still looking at this idea that, that the mind of God is centered in Christ. And here's what Hartle said. He had a mind big enough to hold the thoughts of God. Can you imagine that? Jesus Christ was God in flesh. How many of you have a hard time holding a lot of things in your head? Be honest. Right? And it's interesting. So I'm 58 years old now. I've been studying the Bible for 40 years. I can't believe I can say that. 40 years. You think all this stuff just happens. It's work, labor, nature, Um, But you know what I find? I'll be reading something that I learned years ago. And it's like I've never seen it before. How many of you noticed that? It's like when you look up your own phone number. Oh, that's what that looks like. Because you just push the button every time, right? It's so fascinating to me how limited my memory is. How limited my mental capacity is. And yet when Jesus Christ came, he was God. In one spot in the scriptures, he's talking to these Pharisees or, or scribes, I can't remember which... And they were thinking about stuff, and here's what it said. And he, talking about Christ, knowing all things. He had a mind big enough to hold the thoughts of God, and how about this? And a heart big enough to hold the love of God. How can that be in a human? He was the God-man. He was the God-man. It's an amazing thing, but he is the visible image of the invisible God. And I want to look at this idea. So what we're going to do is we're going to... Do a, do a little exercise. We're going to look for Jesus in the Bible based on his love and what love means. Remember, we just said love is intangible. How do you, how do you know what love is? So John 3, 16. For God so... How many of you know this verse? Any of you ever heard this one? Okay. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So he, he's defining what love is for us. He's demonstrating greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Love works itself out in sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. And any time that you want to get a, a, a more personal or more, or more visible uh, understanding of that, just think about your mom. What, what moms do, they just sacrifice all the time. Being a mother is sacrifice. That's what it means. Why? That's love. That's what love does. Amen? That's what it is. Now, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave... Who did he give? His only begotten son. And what name do we know him by? Jesus. So we're going to look for Jesus. Let's see how this works out in the Scriptures. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. So what we see from John 3.16 is that Jesus is the gift of love. Jesus is the gift of love. Does Jesus give love? Well, yes, but he actually is love. So Genesis chapter 22, this is the account. Well, well, first, I want you to see this. We're going to be looking. I, I skipped to get to our, our principles of Bible study so that I could fit it into the Christmas season, Okay. And so I'm skipping over one that you need to know about for us to do this lesson. And it's the law of first mention, or the principle of first mention. The first time something is mentioned in Scripture can be very important. You learn really important things about that topic from the way it's used for the first time in Scripture. The first time the word love appears in your Bible. How many of you think that's an important one to study? If Jesus is the gift of love, if we study the first time love is given to us in the Bible, I wonder if there'll be anything about Jesus there. 
Won't that be fun to see? So we're going to look for Jesus in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, look at verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and say unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Verse 2. And he said, Take now thy son, look at this, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. The first time you see the word love in the Bible is right here. Isn't this interesting? So let's look for Jesus. He said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I shall tell thee of. Which I shall tell thee of. So, what do we see here? First mention of love. We know that Jesus is the gift of love. We see a loving father is faced in this passage with offering his only son as a sacrifice for sin. Now, I'm a dad. I cannot imagine God asking me to do this. How many of you are thankful God never asked you to do this? He asked Abraham to do it. Now, what I love is that God knew he wasn't going to have Abraham go through with it. Amen? Right? Because we'll see in a minute what God had planned. But he wanted to see if Abraham was the man to be the father of his nation. And he wanted to demonstrate his faith. So a loving father is faced in this passage with offering his only son as a sacrifice for sin. Does that sound like anything we just read? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that's what we have here. The first mention of love in Genesis is Abraham offering Isaac. Let's look at verse 6. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 6. And Abraham, we're looking for Jesus, remember. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. So what did he do? This only son is carrying the wood up the mountain that would be used for his own execution. Isaac is carrying the wood that he would be sacrificed on. What does that remind us of? In John 19, 17, Jesus carried the cross on which he would die. So what are we doing? The first time the word love is mentioned in the Bible, we're going to look for Jesus because the Bible says that Jesus is the gift of love. And we find it's all about Jesus. Every bit of it is about Jesus. So verse 7, look at verse 7, and Isaac asks a great question. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now, that's a good question, isn't it? That is a good question. Can you imagine what that did, that question, just that question did in the heart of, of Abraham? Can you imagine? Where's the lamb? Where is the lamb? Look at verse 8. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide. What's that next word? Himself, a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. God will provide himself. A lamb. The Bible says that in the fullness of the time, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, made of a woman, made under the law. Jesus Christ came. God provided himself a lamb. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. 
So look for Jesus in the way God provided the lamb. So look at verse 8 again. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. And you know that he got ready to sacrifice him, and, and God stopped his hand, wouldn't let him sacrifice. Look at verse 13. The Bible says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket, by his horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Can you ever imagine? Can you now, now sacrifice is not a happy thing. But can you imagine a more joyful sacrifice than the sacrifice that Abraham was able to make that day? Because God had provided a substitute. But let's see if let's look for Jesus in the substitute. Let's look for him. When we look at verses 8 and 13 together, we see that God provided a male lamb wearing a crown of thorns. His horns are caught in a thicket. You can't make it up. Am I stretching it at all? Look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. In this Christmas season, this is the thing that I want to emphasize more than anything else. In the middle of all the materialism, in the middle of all the music and the fun, the get-togethers, getting together with people that you may like or you don't like, as you get together and you do all of that, look for Jesus. When you study your Bible, look for Jesus. He was that spotless lamb wearing a crown of thorns, and he becomes the offering and sacrifice for sin. Sometimes people wonder, it says ram. He said he'd provide a lamb, but here's a ram. That's it. God just wants to make you know that's, that's, that's a male. And Jesus Christ, his only son, died. Every detail God took care of. Look for Jesus. But not only is Jesus the center of the mind of God, in being the center of the mind of God, Jesus became the creator of of all things. He created everything. We know John 1, 3, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the one that spoke everything into existence. John 1, 10, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. It's amazing how often the Bible reiterates this. Jesus Christ came into the world. Can you imagine the creator entered the creation? Got to look for Jesus. Colossians 1.16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Look for Jesus, the entire creation. When you look at the way that you're created, you're created for him. You are created in a very special way to serve Christ. You say, wait a minute, I've got a bad leg. My, my back is bent. My, you, whatever it is, I, I don't have a great memory. I don't speak well. What did Moses say? And yet, God had created him for a purpose. Amen? You were created for him. And as Maureen just saying, he's in us. If you're saved, the Spirit of Christ is in you. And he has called you for a purpose. Look for Jesus. And as you study the scriptures, look for Jesus. That's such a wonderful thing. Verse 17 of Colossians 1, and he is before all things. He wasn't created. Amen. He is before all things and by him, all things consist. You know, everybody's worried. What happens if the world's going to end? It's going to end, but not until Jesus wants it to end. We're all worried that there's going to be another world war. Man, I don't want another world war. I'm not for that. But if it happens, 
Are they going to end the world only if Jesus wants them to? How many of you know that Jesus can stop an atomic bomb? Why? What is an atomic reaction? It's the splitting of an atom. Who holds those atoms together? He upholds all things according to Hebrews by the word of his power. He doesn't even have to hold it in his hand. He just holds it together. Look for Jesus. Look for Jesus. When we understand who he is, then we understand where our power and our purpose comes from. Romans eleven thirty six. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. It is all for and to Jesus. When you read the Bible, look for Jesus. Now here, this verse that I'm about to show you. Now remember, we're thinking about Christmas now. We're thinking about finding Christ in the scriptures. I'm trying to tie this all together as clumsily as I possibly can. But I want you to think about something. Think about this verse, 2 Corinthians 8 9. The Bible says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know grace, that means he gave. It's a gift. That's what grace is. Right? That's why salvation is not of works. Many of you, you may come from a, a, a religious background where you have to work in order to go to heaven. That's not what salvation is. Salvation is always by grace. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of works. That's what the Bible says. Grace, not works. Grace, not works. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Now I want you to notice something. Now how many of you have heard that verse before? Would you raise your hand? You've heard this verse. But I want to really concentrate on it for a minute. I want you to see how this works together with the Bible being about Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he... What, what's that next word? That Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he... What's that word right there? Became poor. Let's see how this fits together in the Bible. So in Hebrews 1-2, we've been in Hebrews 1 a little bit today. It says, talking about Jesus... Hath in these last, or talking about the Father, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed. What's that word? Well, he's God. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Do you see the creation again? It's amazing how often, when God identifies who he is, and especially Christ, how often the Creator is involved in it. So, why would the Creator need to be an heir? Why is he the heir of God? Because for your sakes he was made poor. That's what happened at Christmas, folks. When he was born in that stall, when he was born in that cave, when he was born among the animals, how many of you know that's poor? It's not just a story. It's a plan that God had. Why is he called heir? Because he gave up all the riches and rights that he had as God. Did you hear what I just said? Have you ever said to somebody, hey, don't talk to me that way? Who do you think you are to talk to me that way? How many remember when President Biden said that, that he's, he's getting fed up with us or whatever because we're not getting vaccinated? How many remember hearing that? I, I saw Dan Bongino said, who do you think you're talking to? You're not our king. How many of you reacted that same way? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had somebody talk to you in a disrespectful way? And you immediately challenge that great apostle. You talking to me? <laughs> this is God. 
This is God, and he gave up all the riches and rights that he had as God. He became a man to die and be raised and ascend to heaven. And then he would become heir of all things. Does the Bible actually say that? This explains Philippians 2. We looked at Philippians 2 a minute ago. Let's go back there. Philippians 2. Remember what we said. This point that we're looking at today, we're looking for Jesus, and we understand that the mind of God is centered in Jesus. And, and this, this mind of God that's centered in Jesus, this is the one that created everything. And then the Bible says this about him, okay? Verse 5, let, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Talking about Christ, who? Being in the form of God. So notice what it says, being. Being. This is no beginning, no end. He just is. He's in the form of God. He's God. That's what Jesus is. He's God. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He's not a lesser God. That, that teaching of Plato and, and it influenced the Gnostics and this, this concept that, that the spirit is always better than the physical. That the idea is better than, than the physical thing it produces. Out of that came the idea that Jesus had to be less than the Father because he's physical and God is spirit. That's wrong. Jesus is God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But look what he did for us. Verse 7, but he made himself. No one did it to him. He made himself of no reputation. And so, so let me, let's, let's just stop there for a second. So I've been doing this long enough, okay? I mentioned I've been studying for 40 years. And um, if I may, I've learned a lot about the Bible and about Bible history and all of those things, okay? And so here's what happens. Now, I've not learned enough. If you could look on my desk, all the books that I'm reading, it's amazing what I don't know. I look up, it's fun, the stuff I'm reading right now, they use words that I don't know what they are. And so then in a sentence, I'll use those words to my buddies when I text them, as if I know them. It's, it's funny. But, but I really do work hard, and something that I've said often is this isn't a hobby. What I'm doing here, this is my vocation, it's what I do for a living, I study, you know, that's my job, that's what I do. And that's why sometimes when, when someone... I love answering questions, but I don't like being challenged by a younger person sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? Where in a smart aleck way, they, they ask me a question as if they're going to catch me, as if I've never thought about that before. I wish I could think of one. Um, uh, I can't think of one. But they'll just, they, they, they read something online where they're going to catch a Christian, you, you know, and they're going to, and... But here's what happens. Here's what my flesh does. Do you know who you're talking to? Do you know what I do for a living? How many of you have ever felt that way? Somebody challenges you on something. You're an engineer at work. And somebody on the line, they don't like the way that you've designed something. Because you've usually screwed it up. But anyway, um, amen, Doug. He's not saying a thing. Look at him. He's on. <laughs> but, but we all know. We have our career. We have the thing that we have invested in. It's, it's like Dalton Robertson was talking about Alabama football. 
And he said, people, I'll hear people talking as if they know more about offense than Nick Saban. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You hear people say, why aren't they doing this? As if he knows that the running game's not working right now. Yeah, he doesn't know. You know what I mean? It's all that kind of thing. So when I get, when I get questions like that in a, in a demeaning way, I can get in the flesh really quick and turn into a smart aleck and want to demonstrate what I know. But do you know what the reality is? I really don't know enough. But what did Paul say? Not that I've apprehended. I've, I've not arrived yet. This idea of making myself of no reputation, when really, as a pastor, as a Christian, that's all we have is our reputation. That's all we have. So Jacob would be leaving home, go out and, you know, burn things down with his friends. And what I'd say as he was leaving the house is be nice to people and remember your name. Be nice to people and remember your name. I just wish he had listened once to that. Why am I saying that? Because the only thing I have is my name, my reputation, especially in ministry. That's all you have. Grace Baptist Church, that's what we have is our reputation. Let's do right. But look at what Jesus said. He made himself of no reputation. I don't want to be of no reputation. I've worked hard to learn the stuff and to earn the position and to earn the respect of people. I don't want to be of no reputation. How many of you think that Jesus had farther to step down than me? That's what he did. That's what he did. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Okay, now look. And was made in the likeness of men. So here is the glory of God. You know, that's what Jesus is. He is the glory of God. If you can see, if you could see Jesus in his glory, you would understand. And when Jesus finally reveals his glory, that's when the elements melt with a fervent heat. That's when everything goes away. Everything that's been tainted by sin disappears. It's gone. That's the glory of God. And he took upon him the form of a man. You know, I've heard of men that maybe they lose their sight. They lose the ability through an accident. They lose the ability to use their limbs. And just how the, the how hard that is on on your pride can you imagine someone having to even even peter talked the bible talks about peter when he gets old john they're going to have to carry him around and all of those things and just the humiliation that's involved in that you'll know what i'm talking about how many of you think jesus stepped farther down in his form than that next verse And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's the humility that Jesus Christ had. That's what he did for us. But let's look for him in this. See, this humiliation, this him giving everything up, this making himself poor for us, this explains verses 9 through 11. And I don't think I printed that. So go look at, let's look at it. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. This is, he became heir. You hear what I'm saying? We're explaining what it means for him to be the heir. Wherefore, 
God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So he humbled himself. He gave it all up for us when he came as a baby at Christmas. That's how poor he became. We're looking for Jesus. Ephesians 1.4 says it this way. According as he hath chosen us in him, God the Father chose us in Christ. Every person that's in Christ, if you are in Christ, God's going to treat you like his son. You become an heir in a joint heir. Anybody saved here today? You know Christ as your savior? He's talking about you there. When did he decide this? When did he do it? That verse says before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I may break this down a little further later, another message. But I want you to think about something. Jesus Christ chose to become a man. He chose. He chose to be humiliated. He chose to be disrespected, to be beaten, to be spat upon, to have a crown of thorns driven into his scalp. He chose to have the skin shredded from his body with a cat of nine tails. That's a whip with nine cords with rock or glass in the end of it. And he was hit 39 times with that. And it, it, he, he was beaten so badly that he was not recognizable as a human being. And that wasn't the bad part. He was nailed to that cross. And the sin of the entire world, of every sin committed by every sinner that would ever live or had lived, all of that sin was poured on him on the cross. And he said, I'll do that. And then he said, let there be light. It never caught him by surprise. It's all about Jesus. Every bit of it from the foundation of the world. Even in the book of Revelation 13, 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ is that Lamb. When you study the Bible, look for Jesus. It's all about him. He had ordained everything he was going to do for you before he ever said, let there be light. It is all about him. And this Christmas, can we make sure that we make it about him? You know, the best thing that you could do at Christmas is not give a gift, it's receive a gift. The gift of eternal life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you've not received that gift, if you think you're going to work for it, you can't work for a gift. You can't do it. It can only be accepted as a gift. Man, what a better time to get saved than at Christmas time. What a better time to be born again than at Christmas time. Let Christ be your Savior. Amen? Let's just look for Jesus. Let's all stand together. Lord, thank you so much for coming. And we don't even know, we, we've read the words, but we don't know what it meant for you to humble yourself. We've read the words, but we don't understand how rich you are. We've read the words, but we don't know how poor you became, what you gave up.